back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Help bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight Well I've packed Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson. On today's episode, Meryl and I discuss Meryl Streep's 2009 film, Julie and Julia, one of the most enjoyable films in Meryl Streep's filmography. Please check out Meryl McNally's theater company, which is Neverland Theater Company based out of Roswell, New Mexico. You can check it out by visiting www.neverlandtheatercompany.com and theater is spelled with an R-E. You can check me out online at www.zacharyscottjohnson.com and Scott only has one T or check out my YouTube page, which is The Song A Day Project, all one word squished together, The Song A Day Project. Meryl McNally made us an Instagram account. If you visit us at Meryl Street Podcast, there you'll find us. Uh, you can also send us an email at MerylStreetPodcast at gmail.com with any questions or concerns. We're ready to start the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this morning, Meryl McNally? I'm excellent. How are you, Zach? I'm good. I'm good. What have you been up to slash what have you been watching since last we talked? It hasn't been quite as long this time. I know. What have I been watching? Um, Well, no surprise, I saw the new Star Wars movie. Oh, how was it? I don't, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I, I mean, that's. Some of it is so cool because the director Ryan Johnson turned sort of turned the franchise on its head and sort of threw away um, sort of tired plot points and and you know is pushing the story forward, which is really really cool. And you know Adam Driver is pretty amazing, but you know that I think three times in the film they did a you've got to buy us some time so that we can escape or blow something up or there's like a running clock in three different action scenarios in the entire thing. So you're like, really? You couldn't think of anything more original than let's beat the clock? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's um, it was fun. It was really fun. And, you know, I, I think I'm in the minority. I mean, reviewers are calling it the best Star Wars yet. Yeah, I took I took some serious issue actually with some of the costuming. Really? Yeah. So you and I off recording just talked about Laura Dern. Yeah. And um, Laura Dern's in Star Wars, and she is phenomenal. But they have her. She's like she's a commander. But they have her in this slinky evening gown type dress with a purple curly bobbed wig, like. 1930s style almost and it's so distracting and bizarre and you sort of wonder no female commander ever in whatever universe or fictional world you're in would walk around in that right (laughs) and so there's a couple things like that but you know what overall it was really it was really fun well that's good it was really fun you know it's not it's not very deep okay it's star wars 
See, now, it was interesting that you said that people have been saying it's the greatest Star Wars ever. I have... Now, I'm not a big Star Wars person. Have you seen the opposite? I've seen a little bit of the opposite. I've seen that there's a little bit of a backlash. It seems like it's one. It's the Star Wars that people either love or hate. Yes, I think people are angry about it. I think reviewers, like David Edelstein, you know, he's, t- he's a tough nut to crack sometimes. Mm-hmm. And he... I mean, he loved it. Okay. Um, it is. It, it it probably makes Star Wars devotees a little upset because you know the 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 last film J.J. Abrams set up some plot points like who are raised parents and who is this bad guy and he he set up all these plot points that Ryan Johnson literally bowled up and threw in the trash. He was like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm getting rid of it. Interesting. Huh. And, um, yeah, and I guess he's set to direct the next film in the trilogy as well and and write it. And then somebody told me he's on the, you know, he's on the schedule to do another trilogy after that. I don't know how he's going to be alive. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think... I think it's in. I think it's in good hands. I mean, they basically. I, I don't. Yeah, I think it's in good hands. He pushed the story forward. I think they basically used this film to set up set up the next one, which sure. makes sense in a trilogy. Sure. Yeah. The middle. The middle movie in a trilogy is always. Uh, kind of in a, the trickiest spot probably because it's you know it doesn't have the exposition that the first one does and it doesn't have the climax that the third one does so it's always figuring out you know, how to how to make that one work. Usually the middle one is kind of the darkest one. Was that true of this? Yeah, it's definitely darker than the first the first one. Okay. It came out two years ago. Yeah, I would I would say that. Okay. I would say that's a true statement. I mean we'll see what happens with the next one. The only thing that I have to go on, of course, is social media. And actually it seems like I don't remember when the first one of this trilogy came out. What was that? That was just two years ago, right? Two or three years ago. And um it there must have been a thing where people were like giving away stuff on social media because I had a million friends who were just saying the same thing like don't spoil the new Star Wars if you see it let's give each other you know a week or two to see it before we start talking about it on social media and um, so I, I don't really know what people's you know either pros or cons about the movie are but it just again it seems like people either I do have I have seen people who just absolutely loved it and that was as much as they said about it. And then other people who did not. And that one is more of like, I, I've seen articles, you know, talking about how there was a backlash about this one. Um, yeah. And so it's kind of interesting to, to see where it's going. I don't know. And uh, it, it certainly does not seem like it's in any... When I say backlash, I don't mean to imply that this is a disaster of like the early 2000s trilogy. <laughs> like this is in a whole other level of, like, no. not yeah, that, yeah. you know. But, um, yeah, interesting. Well, have you seen anything besides the uh, new Star Wars? Uh, I Oh, I watched the second season of The Crown. Oh. oh so good. Did it Did it match the <laughs> first one? Watch it. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. So, so good. Claire, Claire Foy is a revelation. She's so phenomenal. And the writing is phenomenal. Yeah, I highly, highly recommend it to everyone. Is is Lithgow in season two? He is not. He That's is what I stepped, thought. He steps down as Churchill in season one, and then season two really focuses on the family during the sixties. And then now that this season's over, 
I guess the show was designed that each each sort of incarnation of the royal family is there for two seasons, and then the show gets recast. So Olivia Coleman of Broadchurch, um, she is stepping into the role of the queen, and casting for the rest have, hasn't been announced yet. Well, that's kind of interesting, actually. Uh, I kind of like that idea. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I'm curious to find out. Olivia Coleman's going to be brilliant. She's a brilliant actress. I have no doubt she can do it. It's interesting because this particular cast has such a loyal following. I mean, everyone loves Matt Smith and Claire Foy in these roles, and I think there's a lot of sadness that they're stepping down. Uh-huh. It'll be interesting to see if it has any effect on viewership for the next season. Hopefully it won't. Interesting. Lithgow is one of the reasons that uh, that, that is of interest to me, that the crown... I just like John Lithgow so much. That, um, He's amazing. And you, so you like his performance in The Crown? Because that's another one that, like, some people love it, some people... I wouldn't say people hate it, but people... I have heard people who are of the opinion that it, it just feels like John Lithgow doing an impression of Winston Churchill rather than, like, you know, something else. I don't know what else it would be, I guess. I didn't, I didn't think that at all when I watched it. I wasn't... The show does an amazing job of sort of engrossing you in the world that I didn't... I really never thought that. Interesting. Not once. And I, I, watch, I watch a lot of British entertainment. I've seen a lot of incarnations of Winston Churchill. I've certainly seen actors impersonate Winston Churchill. Yeah. Um, I mean, some people cannot carry, can, cannot carry the weight. <laughs> I didn't ever feel that way watching John Lithgow. I loved him. Good, good. Actually, this is a, a little bit of a sidebar, but I see that John Lithgow is going back to Broadway with his one-man show. And actually, I saw there is a slight um, Merrill connection to this, but I saw this one-man show that he did probably eight years ago, seven, eight years ago in New York. He was doing a really limited run at, I think it was Lincoln Center. And it was only... It was only like a couple days a week. He was doing it like two or three times a week, I think, and it was a short run. But now it's going to, to Broadway. And the reason it has a connection to Meryl, although she and John Lithgow did work together on Broadway, but at that show, I met and got to have a really long conversation. Like sometimes when you meet a famous person, it's like, uh, hi, how are you doing? But we ended up standing next to each other and talking for probably a good 20 minutes with uh, Joanne and Glee. With Joanne, not him, not with him, with uh, Joanna Gleason, who is in oh, um, Heartburn. It was, it was, I love her. Yeah, she was great. And she was really, really nice, too. We ended up, yeah, it was a really cool conversation. And the show is, the show that Lithgow does is really interesting because he basically, at that point, I don't know if it's been, you know, updated or anything, but he basically, like, reads stories out of a book. It's really kind of like interesting yeah you're just paying to watch john lithgow read to you but it was totally great (laughs) (laughs) you know i probably would yeah it was awesome (laughs) and lincoln center it was in this tiny theater and i was literally in the front row so it was one of those things where you're like five feet from him and it was very interactive like he made a point out of like saying oh joanna gleason's here and like they had a you know because they had done i think they did dirty rotten scoundrels together on broadway and so he started asking her questions you know it had that very like very loose feel there was probably like 150 people in the audience you know it was very informal um but it was very cool so anyway neither here nor there but i'm a big fan of john lithgow i think he's incredible what have you been watching well, I saw the three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, uh, I 
want to see it so badly. How is it? Brilliant. I loved it. Yes, I will say um, it was a little bit more intense than I thought it would be. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. If you know Martin McDonough, yeah. who's the who's yeah. the both director and the writer of this, Meryl and I, because we come from theater backgrounds, know his theatrical work, which is just about as dark as it can be. Um, yeah. But I don't know. The way this movie was marketed, it made it seem like kind of like a Fargo-ish black comedy. And actually, Fargo has its moments of intensity, too. But um, this, it was pretty intense this movie not not in an like I, I don't know there were just some things that i was really surprised by but it was very very good it's just you have to be ready for a martin mcdonough piece yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> the, the incredible nun <laughs> right right <laughs> i um yeah, and actually it was it was kind of interesting too because again most of the marketing has revolved around francis francis mcdormand's um performance which is of course amazing you know i mean she's there's nobody like her there's nobody like her um i don't know i want to talk about something in a sec but the um the supporting performance from sam rockwell to me it's interesting that he's being nominated in a supporting role category for all these awards because he's kind of the lead of this movie that's interesting i mean he's he's probably got as much screen time as francis mcdormand and his character, like her character, I won't give anything away plot-wise, but her character has a small arc, but essentially she's the same in the end as where she was in the beginning. And his character takes a major arc. Major arc. Wow. I love him. He's and really I think great. He's very underrated. I mean, I think it's like he, or he at least stays below the radar. Right. Let's put it that way. Right. This is um I guess I can't remember off the top of my head who else is looking strong in the supporting actor category for awards, but I don't know. It almost seems like they do this every once in a while. Actually, Viola Davis, we talked about this last year. She went supporting actress in Fences when arguably yep. it could have been a lead actress. I think another really famous one is Jennifer Connelly in A Beautiful Mind. Um, there, there are, yeah, are lots of instances. Right, because the, as a supporting you're almost guaranteed the win just because it's such a monumental feat. But yeah, he's great. The, I I really liked the movie. It was just darker than I thought. It was it was intense, but it was very good. It was extremely well written. Francis McDormand, Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson are all just incredible. Um, you just have you should know what you're kind of walking into. Um, actually. Yeah. On a, 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 hopefully, I'm not being insufferable by saying this, but on that same trip that I saw um, John Lithgow, I also saw Frances McDormand in a play. I saw her and uh, Morgan Freeman in a play. And oh, wow. I was walking outside the theater afterwards, and the two of them were leaving. And I did not, like, I wasn't in line with the autograph people. It just happened to be leaving right at the same time that they were. They must have just, like, walked yeah. out. And. So there were a lot of people there, you know, wanting autographs, and they just kind of walked by each of them. Morgan Freeman shook some hands, but he didn't sign anything. And um, Frances McDormand was right next to me. And so I asked her, um, I can't remember if I asked her if she would take a picture with me or if I asked her to sign the playbill, but she grabbed my face. She touched my cheek and she said, um, what did she say? She, she said, honey, I don't sign anything, but you are so cute. And then just walked away. <laughs> 
So Francis uh, McDormand grabbed my face, and I feel good about that's that. That's a good story. Yeah, it's almost better than if she had signed. I would, I would love to take a picture with her, but I don't know. I'm not much of an autograph person. Like, it doesn't really mean that much to me to have somebody write their name down. <laughs> but I like it, yeah. but it's not a huge thing for me. And uh, so I, I like the fact that she touched my face more than she would have signed an autograph for me. But uh, yeah. Anyway, what was that's I? Amazing. What was I saying about? Um, Oh, Frances McDormand. Okay, so she. do you feel like she's being typecast at all? You know what? That's a really good point. I hadn't really considered it. Um, I haven't, I don't feel like she's been on my radar lately, but yes. She's kind of been stuck, and I don't know if it's by choice. Um, like, maybe she likes these kinds of roles, but she kind of plays the, like, I don't give a shit, tough as nails, you know, don't mess with me, sassy you know, super intense person for a while now. And um, I kind of wonder what it would be like to see a softer Frances McDormand. I don't know. I'm not suggesting that she would be, I'm sure she's capable of it. I'm sure she's done that before. I'm not thinking of anything in particular, but you know, I don't know. The last time I remember, sort of, I was actually really surprised to see her in Something's Gotta Give as, as Diane Keaton's sister. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was, I was like, oh, hey, Francis. I just thought, it, I, I mean, it was so sort of because you do usually see her in those tough roles or more character, you know, more strongly character-driven roles, like you know, her iconic performance in Fargo. Right. I've got to tell you the saddest story about three billboards. It's not that sad. It's not okay. Dramatic. So you know, Roswell. No, no, none of these movies come to Roswell, or if they do, it's very late in the game, but it's very unusual that something like three billboards would come to Roswell. And I don't know what possessed me, but I got on the movie showings in the middle of last week, and it was a Tuesday, and three billboards was playing at one of the movie theaters here in town. And I was so excited. I texted my friend and I said, you and I are going to see three billboards tomorrow, tomorrow after I finished work. And, you know, I usually don't go to movies in the middle of the week because I'm kind of busy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm cutting out time because I'm going to do this. So he, he texted me in the middle of the day. He's like, so what time are we going? And I get online to the movie times and it's gone. It has disappeared. And I, I, I don't know if because it was a Wednesday, you know, usually times change over on Thursday, not on Wednesdays. Right. I don't know if it's because of the Christmas holiday, if they like were showing the movie for like a hot second and then took it down, or if or if I made it up in my head because I was just wish fulfillment. I don't know. But it was gone and I did the slow motion no. Oh, that's that is sad. It was so sad and the only thing left was I don't know. Nonsense. Well, total nonsense. <clears throat> the only thing I can think of that that is a bummer. The only thing I can think of, and in fact, our our mutual friend Anna uh, brought this up on Facebook the other day because she was talking about Titanic. Titanic is twenty years old this week. It like came out twenty oh, yeah. years ago, and I noticed that the movie theater closest to us, the same one that I went to see. Um, Three Billboards was playing Titanic. It'd been playing Titanic for like three weeks. I mean, like multiple. Oh yeah, they're replaying it. Yeah, it'd been doing like multiple showings a day. And then there was another theater that I looked at that was showing. I mean, 
I can't remember what the movie titles were, but it was old, you know, not old movies, but it was movies that came out like 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And it seems like what a lot of movie theaters are doing, and it makes sense, and I understand that like movies, it's a business, like they're trying to get people to come in and I get all that, but they're replaying really popular stuff at the expense of yeah. movies like Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And again, I get what they're doing. It's a business. It's they're trying to stay in business. But it is frustrating because it's hard sometimes to find theaters that are showing movies like that. Lady Bird, luckily, has become super popular, so that's playing all over the place. Um, but there are other ones. Still not here. Really? Oh, wow. It's been playing oh, yeah, here no. for a long time. I've been tr- I bet you Lady Bird doesn't come here. I'll have to wait for it to go to to, to rent. Wow. It's been playing here a while. Yeah. I have, I, I've, every week I'm like, okay, I'm going to go see it in the middle of the day on this week and then it just doesn't happen. But yeah, I don't know. It, there, there are a lot of these movies that just <clears throat> aren't, aren't making it. So I don't know. It's, it's a little bit frustrating. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a, a bummer when you have a strong interest in film. To, to be in a community that can't, you know, really can't sustain bringing those kind of films. Right. And they, you know, I mean, it, listen, I'm, I mean, I'm talking about like a, you know, first world problem here, <laughs> if you could even call it a problem. <laughs> but it is nice, you know, when you live in a small community like, like I do here. Right. Um, you know, it's one of your only outlets. And so it would be really nice to have like a movie theater that brings that kind of stuff. But, you know. Right. Okay. God, God bless Netflix. <laughs> God bless Netflix. Well, this is a good transition to um, yes. because we're talking about our awards season stuff. There's a lot of news regarding the post. Because there's so much, and there's just so much Meryl Streep news. Yes, we're gonna we get got a packed episode. We're gonna we're gonna get to all of it, but. Let's yeah. let's start with the uh, the positive stuff, which is that most recently, uh, the post was nominated for six Golden Globes, including yes, best performance by an actress for Meryl Streep, uh, best uh-huh. performance by an actor for Tom Hanks, best director Steven Spielberg, best picture drama. That's a big deal. Um, best yeah. best screenplay for Liz Hanna and Josh Singer, and best original score for John Williams. The film also was the winner of the AFI uh, Best Picture of the Year, or the Movie of the Year, which kind of went under the radar, but it won the AFI Best um, Movie of the Year, which I think is a pretty big deal. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, now... Two days after that, the Screen Actors Guild Awards nominations came out, and the post was not nominated for a single one. And the same category that Meryl had been nominated in, uh, Judy Dench took her place uh, for, I can't remember what Judy Dench's movie is called. I'm very anxious to see it, though. It looks really good. Is it Victoria and Abdul? Yes. Yes. Did she get nominated for that? Yes. Yes, and it looked very good. I think I think other than that, the the actresses were the same. It was just Judy Dench had taken um, Meryl spot, and so when I saw that, my first thought was, okay, so they went with Judy Dench over Meryl Streep, and then I saw that Tom Hanks wasn't nominated for Best Actor, and the film itself yeah. wasn't nominated, and Steven Spielberg wasn't nominated, and so I have a theory here. This did not. I think the SAG Awards people don't really talk about quite as much as like the Golden Globes and. The the Oscars like I haven't seen. No, but it does. There, there are 
lot of correlation between who goes on to be successful at the Oscars right. and, who, and who gets nominated and wins at the SAG Awards. So, uh, I mean, it was an interesting, it was an interesting snub, if we're going to call it that, um, just for Oscar purposes. It sort of yeah. makes no. it the wild, wild west. It totally was. So, um, Meryl, have you ever been in the Screen Actors Guild? No. I have not. I've not either, but I have friends who are. And so um, Mm -hmm. I actually have in my... Oh, you know what? I'm not legally supposed to say something, so I'm not going to say it. Let's just say that members of the Screen Actors Guild are given screeners of movies. This is true. Right. This is true. Yes. Um, I'm not suggesting that any of those have found their way to me because the people after they watched him didn't want them anymore. That would totally not be what I'm saying right now. <laughs> okay. So yeah. I, I would never ever say that. And I would never take them that. I mean, no, I would never do that. That would just be a violation. And why would I want to be a part of that. But anyway, so they put out screeners most of the time. Now, it has been interesting because some movies over the last couple of years in particular, instead of sending out screeners of DVDs, uh, which a lot of the films still do, but some of them send out like links to watch the movie digitally. They'll send out like a, you know, a code so that you can watch it one time or something. Um, So my guess is that maybe they just didn't do screeners or links for this movie it's i don't know because it seems strange to me that this film wouldn't have been nominated for anything this seems like there was such a limited amount of time it really wasn't out for very long that as well yeah so that's my theory there is that i just don't think people saw it because it's not out yet all all these other movies are out and the ones that aren't you know i think like there are a couple that are coming out this week shape of water i think comes out this week yeah there there are a couple other ones that like it would be hard to say for sure that people saw them but i think maybe i don't know because it's a steven spielberg movie that isn't really coming out until january maybe they were protective about it and didn't want it released that happens sometimes where like they don't want a movie floating about they don't well, want screeners surprise out there me with the spielberg with the spielberg camp yeah. They're so they're so secretive and protective. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's strange. It, it is it is strange. Um, I'm curious to see what happens during award season because of it. Yep. I also it's also it's very very interesting in combination with the other news we have to talk about. Right. Today, which is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, was wearing black to the Golden Globes sort of Meryl, did Meryl Streep sort of spearhead that? You know, I didn't know anything about that until this whole Rose McGowan thing started. So actually, I don't know. I don't feel like I can talk intelligently about that. I don't know. So what I do know is that actresses um, and the names that have been mentioned are Meryl Streep, Emma Stone, and others are planning to wear black gowns to the Golden Globes in silent protest of of sexual harassment and assault and the issues that are happening in Hollywood right now. Um, If if anybody's been following this this scandal very early on when the Harvey Weinstein scandal broke, Meryl Streep came out and said, I didn't know anything about this. Rose McGowan at the time basically called foul and said, there's no way you didn't know. And uh, Rose McGowan was one of Harvey Weinstein's victims. Most 
when when the Golden Globe black dress campaign kind of got out there, Rose McGowan sort of unleashed her wrath on on uh, on social media, calling out in particular Meryl Streep for you know doing this silent protest, calling her a hypocrite for working with Harvey Weinstein, and that you know wearing a black gown to the Golden Globes wasn't going to do anything. Um, of, uh, or have any impact, and um, it's it's been very interesting to watch the unfolding of that. Amber Tamblin, who has been quite vocal in this process about her own experiences with James Woods, um, she she came out and and basically basically said, you know, Rose McGowan, you know, let's not attack other women, right? We're all doing what we can, right? And Meryl Streep released a statement in response to Rose McGowan that said, listen, she doubled down. She was like, I didn't know. It is possible that there are actors out there that didn't know, and I'm one of them. Right. And within 24 hours of that statement, an anonymous artist has posted posters all over LA, large blown up photographs of Meryl Streep and Harvey Weinstein together, and a red block over Meryl Streep's eyes that says she knew. Yeah. So she's she's taking the heat right now for sure. And what do you think about all of it? Yeah, I okay. I think it's bullshit. Um, you know, I think it's. I think a lot of ridiculousness is coming out. Um, there are a couple other things from from Meryl's statement that I thought were interesting. Some kind yes. of clarifying things. You know, she she said, "I don't know where Harvey lives. He's never been to my house." I'm paraphrasing. I'm not looking at the the actual statement right, right. now. But these are essentially what she was saying. She was saying things like, "You know, he's never been I've never been in a hotel room with him. I've been in his office one time when we were talking about, you know, promotions about a certain movie." I don't know. I just I think it's absolutely absurd that anybody would assume that Meryl Streep would know. And it's for, I mean, we, you and I talked about this on our last episode. Meryl Streep is not somebody that he would have been, like, they would have hid that from her. You know what I mean? Like, she would be the last person that would know because she's exactly... The exact- culture is so insular, right? It's so yeah. protected. Yeah. Your, your management protects you. And she's not, she was never going to be one of his targets. Right. Well, yeah, and she's also, I mean, let's let's face facts. Meryl Streep is a power actress at this point. Power actor, power actress, whatever. She's not going to meetings by herself with Harvey Weinstein. She's got her managers there. She's got her publicists. She's got her assistants. There is never any circumstance in which she and Harvey Weinstein would be alone. And anything, the other side of this is like, any time that Harvey Weinstein would have done something inappropriate to somebody else, why in the world would Meryl Streep be witness to that? And it is conceivably possible that somebody would have mentioned that to Meryl Streep. Yeah. I, I won't I won't deny that. She might have heard whispers about it. But let's talk about the other people. Kevin Spacey, you know, is gone from from our lives now. And this has apparently been an open secret for 20 years. Same thing with Dustin yeah. Hoffman. All these accusations are coming out against Dustin Hoffman now. I, you know, like I think it's it's such a pervasive issue. Oh, what a surprise! There's another douchebag guy in Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like it's it's absurd well, right. to hold Meryl Streep well, accountable I, for this. Yeah, I'm hesitant to even talk about what she knew or didn't know because the bottom line is it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. 
what was what is Meryl Streep solely responsible for Harvey Weinstein? Right. Could she have really affected any real change by being the sole person to speak out against him? Right. Like, why does that fall on her shoulders as an actress as opposed to all the men that let it ride for so many years? Yeah, no kidding. I mean, I, I think it's unnecessary focus and wrath on essentially um, the top of the the, the top of the female actress you know the female actor pyramid um, and I I just I think it's completely unnecessary and it's distracting yeah and um, it, and also everyone does what what they can do like women every every woman has the right to decide how they're going to speak out, when they're going to speak out, if they're going to speak out, and if they can't, they can't. And if and if all somebody can do is wear a black dress in solidarity at an awards ceremony, that's great. Right. That's fine. Right. If you can't do more, you can't do more because it's so personal and it's so emotional and it's so difficult that everyone just has to deal with it in their own way and I don't I, I mean I have a I have a lot of um, respect for Rose McGowan and the courage she's had I do too over the years to speak out I just I I feel I feel really bad for her I think she's got I me mean, and understandably so it's just so angering. Yeah. Well, such deep seated anger. I think, I think she also has realized, I think Amber Tamblyn, who the Rose McGowan and Amber Tamblyn are apparently quite good friends. Um, Amber Tamblyn took a little bit of heat because she basically was being called out by other people for doing exactly what she was accusing Rose McGowan of doing. She basically was like, stop blaming women. And then Amber Tamblyn like publicly shamed Rose McGowan. Um, But two things with that. One is Amber Tamblyn made clear that she had also called Rose McGowan and had a discussion with her about it. And second of all, um, I think she did so in a way, I think basically she's trying to make the same point that that you and I are making, which is that like, can we please not make the indiscretions and absolutely indis, you know, like disgusting actions of a man, can we not make that the fault of a woman? That is the last thing right. we need to do. We do not need to hold a woman who may or may not have known. We have no fucking clue whether or not she did. And it is not our job to say whether she did or not. Can we not hold no. her accountable for Harvey Weinstein's actions? Please, can we make his actions about him and his behaviors about him. Like, there's just no excuse for that. And I'm with you. I thought Rose McGowan, I actually, it's funny because the day before this story broke, I wrote a tweet. Um, I, I don't tweet very much, actually, but I wrote a tweet to the Academy just saying that I thought it would be a good idea if Rose McGowan, Ashley Judd, uh, Mira, Mira Servino, who's been kind of involved yeah. tangentially in a lot of all of this stuff, too. If I suggested that they should be, I said it would be a very small gesture, relatively meaningless in the scheme of things. But hey, let's give the whistleblowers their moment at the Oscars this year. Let's give these three women, let's have them present together. And you know what? Let's see what the reaction from the people is, because I'm guessing it would be pretty, it would be pretty powerful. 
However, the next yeah. day she went after Meryl Streep and I, you know, we host a podcast about Meryl Streep. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not feeling so great about that. I actually deleted the tweet. But oh, and speaking of deleting the tweets, um, in Rose McGowan's ah. defense, Rose McGowan did delete the tweet. I think she kind of was made. I think she kind of figured out, OK, I went about this the wrong way. You know, I think she even might have issued. Right. A, I think she might have issued an apology for it. I think. It's just so easy to get, I think, in, in my own experiences, what, is, what has been incredibly frustrating is that you feel that you are, you're standing in a room crowded with people and you are screaming your lungs out and nobody is listening. Right. That's what, I mean, that's how, that's how it feels. And, um... And I think she's coming from that place where, you know, every everywhere she looks, she sees complacency, people who allowed this to happen right. to her and other women. And that is true. There's validity in that. You can't you can't misdirect it. Right. Um, also very interesting is Matt Damon. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Woo. That was. Oh, my gosh. He um, that. He is a perfect, perfect example of completely misunderstanding the nature of the beast. Right. And he is the perfect example of why this issue is so insidious and problematic. Because you can have a big bad guy like Harvey Weinstein, and it's very easy to see what's wrong. But somebody like Matt Damon, who's respected for his work who doesn't engage in that kind of behavior but has that kind of twisted worldview of what it means that's the problem right he's a it, it's another bummer with him it's kind of the kevin spacey thing where it's it's a bummer because i love their work so much but he's yeah. just it, his comments are so out of touch i mean like it it, it borders on delusional it, it borders on it, does. it borders on just completely living in a fantasy world it really does, and it's, I mean, it's a shame. He basically whined that all the nice guys weren't getting any attention during all this, that most men don't do this. Right. I'm like, well, sorry, Matt, you don't get an award for being a decent human being. Right. No, we're not talking about those people, because they haven't done anything wrong. Right. You're missing the point, my friend. Yeah, yeah. it was very frustrating for me, and I mean, I think... I think all the list, all of our listeners know that I don't often don't often speak out angrily towards anybody. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, his comments truly, truly pissed me off. It's it's unfortunate. I also, um, again, I sometimes it sometimes it's important to say sometimes I'm overdoing it. I feel like again I'm in a weird position because. I'm a 35-year-old white man. I don't want to mansplain any of this. You know what I mean? Like, my voice is yeah. one that should essentially be listening at this point, and I, I want to be on record as having said that. I I co-host a podcast, and so this is a, something that we're talking about. I don't mean to insert myself in this in any way. And it's, you know, my opinion is relatively meaningless in all of this. You know, like, it doesn't matter what I think. It, it, it yeah. matters, like... But I, de- I mean, I definitely, like, as your, as your podcast co-host, I definitely like your input on it okay well i also you know i think it's it's a matter of rose mcgowan made some mistakes but she's also been a really important voice in what's been happening and so i hope this i hope this doesn't completely silence her i hope 
we can kind of, everybody can mend fences here. It was interesting because Meryl said that she knew a couple people who also knew Rose McGowan. She got her personal, I assume home phone number. I think it said home phone, not her cell phone. Her home phone number to Rose McGowan. And she said that she had hoped that Rose McGowan would call her so that they could talk about it. And um, she said that she hadn't yet, but... um, that she had waited by the phone, which I, I, you know, this is a super serious issue, so I don't want to make light of it, but I love the idea of Meryl Streep waiting for anybody to call her. I love the idea that she's waiting by her phone, (laughs) but that's what she said, that she waited by her phone all day for Rose McGowan to call her. So hopefully, I don't know, hopefully they'll get to chat and patch things up. You know, it sounds like, it sounds like Meryl's not really holding a grudge on this. It sounds like she understood where Rose was coming from and just didn't, want to be part of it probably i don't know yeah i mean for somebody who stayed so far out of the of of the tabloids and the limelight for so long yeah i can't imagine this situation is entirely comfortable for meryl street i mean she's never been a figure of controversy to my knowledge has she not not until the trump thing about it yeah right until about a year ago last year through march the beginning yeah, interesting. It's of her coming up in the media more. Yeah, so I can't imagine after a long, full career and being able to keep your personal life really under wraps that that this is extremely comfortable. Yeah. It wouldn't be comfortable for anybody. No. Her, so. Well, and to be called out like that. I mean, we've kind of, we've been dwelling on this for, for probably long enough, but to be called out like that is, is probably a bit much given the circumstances but um i also wanted to say you know we kind of went hard at matt damon and of course it was just announced that his father passed away so it one really has nothing to do with the other but you know could i i can't i can't imagine he's listening to this either but condolences you know that's that's a sad thing too um he's a person he made a mistake terribly terribly sad thing yeah and I, yeah, I was definitely, definitely harsh on Matt Damon. Well, I, you know, I... Not the only one. It just happens. I mean, it's sort of like Rose McCann. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, and who knows, who knows what was going on with him personally when he made those comments. And, right. Well, I, yeah, I won't say any more on Matt Damon. Yeah. <laughs> I condolences to him and his family, though, that's... Yeah, it's it's too bad. Well, let's move on. Um, so before we have one last thing, we're we're taking our sweet time getting to Julia and Julia, not because we don't want to talk about I it, know, but right? because there's just a lot of stuff. Um, the Mamma Mia, here we go again. Trailer dropped this week. Uh-huh. So I've watched it. it have, sure you, did. have you watched it? I have watched it. What were your thoughts I on was, this? Uh, I was surprised. How so? <laughs> Because I knew I knew the entire cast was coming back, uh, with the exception of maybe Dominic Cooper, and I was pretty surprised that how obvious it was that Meryl Streep's dead. Yeah, <laughs> and that she's only in flashbacks, which tells me she probably had limited um, filming time available. Yeah. So my guess is she's not in it as much as. I originally thought, and uh, I'm going to tell you, I think it looks pretty awful. Yeah. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I do. I mean, I love the cast. I love Lily James, and if anyone can pull it off, I think she probably can, because she's lovely. 
I think maybe, I think, I think I'm sort of wondering if, sort of echoing what I'm going to say about Julie and Julia, I'm wondering if, you know, the flashback portion will be more solid than present day stuff. I don't know. What did you think? Did you think the polar opposite? No, I, I didn't necessarily think the polar opposite. Now, remember, and for anybody who's, I feel like a broken record a little bit because this is probably annoying for people who do listen to the podcast, but for anybody who this is their first episode of listening to our show i'm quite open and on the record about not being a big musical theater person even though i am an actor and you know have done my fair share of musical theater it's just not really my thing and um mamma mia is not my favorite i can appreciate i can appreciate it for what it is and i think it's one of those performances much like the movie we're going to talk about today where she seems to be having a really good time and i love that but it's just overall maybe not my my favorite. And no, but I also had low expectations coming into this. Yeah. I, I was on the record as soon as it was announced saying, I don't know about this. And um, it yeah, just... Yeah, I'm still on the fence. Yeah. I, I'm not saying I want it to fail. I, I don't want it to fail. I, I actively want it to be great. And I think there are some interesting things. I think Cher being a part of it is kind of interesting. But I'm with you in that um, it really, to me, from this first trailer, and only from the first trailer, looks like Meryl Streep is not much of a part of this at all. And um, she's she's the reason I would see the movie. So if she's not in much of it, then it's just not something I'm going to be. But it is, it, it's fine. I don't know. Who knows? I, we have to wait and see. Yeah. You really can't tell. I mean, they use... Um you know, they used music from the previous film, so it's not really clear what music is going to be in it, and it's difficult to use in the trailer anyway. Right. Like they could, right. you know, do a full musical number, and we'll just have to wait and see. I'm skeptical, though. And I, I'm with you. I mean, never, ever, ever do I want a movie to fail. I was always rooting for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we'll we'll hope for the best, and, you know, it, if it's not, that's... She doesn't have very many... Uh, she doesn't have very many embarrassments on her filmography. So if this happens to be the one, you know, that's, she's made it longer than anybody else without having really like a complete dud. I think even the ones that are like really low on our lists, I wouldn't be embarrassed about. I wouldn't be embarrassed about being in House of the Spirits or before and after. It's just not everything about them worked, but it's just, you know, it's not a complete failure. Right. And she's, she is consistently impeccable. So absolutely, and I have a feeling that she'll be good in this too. I don't think the problem's going to oh, be yeah. with her performance at all. So no, um, the release date for it is July twentieth of next year, twenty eighteen. Um, Mary Poppins Returns is also coming out next year on Christmas Day, so we're guaranteed I'm, to have. I'm super excited about that. Yeah, see, and I'm I'm curious about that one. When the first trailer drops, I'm going to be curious to see how big her role in that is too. I'm suspecting maybe not a huge role in that either, but not. No. Yeah. I think it's probably just a fun thing, whatever she's doing, but so she'll be in technically the post is coming out this year, although it's not going to be available for most of us to see until January. So really it'll be like a three Meryl Streep movie year next year, which is pretty exciting. That's exciting. Especially for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, especially considering this has been a no Meryl Streep movie year. So. Right? Keep, keep, keep churning them out, Meryl. Yeah. Yeah, like I say... <laughs> so the we po- can keep doing our podcast. Yeah. Like I say, the post is technically this year, but we won't be able to until next year. So that's that. Well, that that's a, as 
nice a transition as we can make into Julie and Julia, which is the reason we're here to talk yeah. today. The 2009 film of Julie and Julia. Meryl, do you want to give us the, the plot synopsis rundown on this one? This one should be fairly straightforward, actually. Sure. They're, it's about a um, New Yorker, right? New Yorker named Julie, who is, you know, hitting her 30s and working a down, uh, down and out job, you know, receiving calls at Helpline for, for 9-11 victims and their families and she's you know her friends are all like have very successful careers and she feels lost so her husband and her talk about it and she decides to start a food blog where she goes through Julia Child's mastering the art of French cooking and goes through I don't know how many recipes in, in so many days and blogs about it and um, develops a following and the film cut between Julie's story, going through Julia Child's cookbook, and Julia Child's actual um, actual life story, as played by Meryl Streep. Anything else to add? No, that's that's well done. Articulate. If, yeah, that was great. It's basically a dual biopic. Meryl Streep does the Julia yeah. Child biopic, and um, Amy Adams does the biopic of of Julie Powell. I mean, it's based off of she actually wrote a book about about her blog and doing this. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I don't know much about yeah. her story outside of what's in the movie. I've never, like, researched her or anything. I have not either. And I guess I could have done that for this podcast, but I did not. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean, I think we're, we're here to talk about the movie more so than the... Yeah. The, yeah, this movie is... I don't know. This, this movie is pretty much a joy. I mean, it really is. This movie is kind of yeah. amazing. Yeah, agreed. I don't think it was made... Well, it's, it's Nora Ephron, right. so that explains that. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's very sunny. You know, it's it's got that, all the things that are, um, that everybody loves about Nora Ephron movies, like you've got Mail and Sleepless in Seattle and Something's Gotta Give, yep. you know, like great, I, I don't know, light, fun, fun movies, you know, and uh, I don't think I'm necessarily the demographic that this movie was aimed at, but I have to say it really is, like, this is one of those movies that I think it's that unfortunate, um, like, label of being a chick flick, which is, by, in its own, that is a kind of, you know, unnecessarily derogative, uh, you know, term, but, yeah. uh, you know, I think it, what that does is it kind of diminishes any legitimacy that a movie might have that's what that's what people mean basically for the most part it's another way of saying too for for us for some of us it's it's a way of saying like it's a fun movie that i don't know i don't know how, i i don't need to explain chick flicks but it um <laughs> i i well, I'm, I'm not being very articulate about this but what i'm saying is this movie has no, that but it's sort of a romantic a romanticized i mean that's sort of what I mean, that's what the definition of a chick flick is, right? A, a sort of real romanticized, female-oriented story that they think men won't enjoy. Yeah, right. And that's that's the part that I have, well, two parts about that that I have an issue with. But the last part is the, you know, the idea that, that men won't enjoy it. Because really, it's such a fun movie. I mean, like, her performance is so good in this, and she's, it's just so joyful. It's so good. And it's so it's soulful. It's so good. It's so, it, it's just like, 
a joy to watch this movie and her performance. She is just amazing in this movie. Amazing in this movie. Yeah, I have to tell I have to tell our listeners that I finally went and found my ranking. <laughs> and I without a doubt, like I didn't even have to look at the list. No, this movie this her performance of this movie is ranked number one for me. Is it? And I was surprised by that. Yes. I was not expecting that because I saw this movie, you know, in 2009 when it came out. Uh-huh. And I loved, I remember loving the Julia Child storyline with Meryl Streep. I didn't so much love the Julie storyline with Amy Adams. Right. Um, and so I came out of the movie being like, eh. And so rewatching it, I knew I was going to enjoy it because I remember it being a fun movie. But I was just, when you're watching it specifically for Meryl Streep, and that's your focus, and it's obviously ours with this podcast, I was so blown away by the nuance. Oh, I know. And you're right, the joy, just the pure joy. And it's not, I mean, how easy, in any lesser actress's hands, it would be a caricature, because how do you do Julia Child? Yeah, no she kidding. She was so over the top and this was not bad at all well i mean honestly i i'm not exaggerating when i say you know in in the hands of another actress this movie could have been a complete disaster truly been a disaster disaster. it it could have been awful and the fact that this is i'm with you i i don't have this number one on my performances list but i do have it number two and it also surprised me um it to to be given something like this it's almost amazing that this movie came to be in a weird way because i think just the idea of doing biopics on larger than life people like julia child like how do you do that without it being yeah i mean it is really remarkable that this was even a coherent movie because julia child is just (laughs) so hard to to emulate and impersonate without it being a ridiculous impression. I mean, Meryl Streep, I, it, it's, I think there were some people who, who kind of, again, like the, you know, she gets nominated every year. And I think some people kind of took umbrage with that because this was, you know, a quote unquote, like light movie. This is as oh. amazing a performance as she's ever given. I mean, truly, oh, yeah, this is unreal. Form. Yeah. She almost, I mean, yeah, it, this is the year. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll bring it up. Uh, this is the year that the Academy Awards. I'm gonna maybe. This is the category best actress. These were the the nominees. So Meryl for Julia and Julia, Gabor Gabory uh, I don't know how to say her name. Gabory Sidibe for Precious. Uh, Carrie Mulligan for In Education, which I actually really like that performance a lot too. Uh, mm-hmm. Helen Mirren for The Last Station. That's kind of a. Uh, out there pick and uh, Sandra Bullock for the blind side which she was the one who won that year and it was a little bit of the like it's Sandra Bullock's year kind of thing and I know the blind side was a very popular movie even though there were <laughs> it's a little bit of the white savior actually not a little bit it's a lot bit of the <laughs> white uh, white savior yeah um, but yeah you know I don't know I I don't know if I've actually ever seen the blind side to tell you the truth but I just I, I don't know. I know that that's what happens some year. It's like, oh, it's Sandra Bullock's year. This is the way it's going to be. But I ju- I don't know. Meryl Streep and Julia, Julia. I think there is... I I think... 
I, it'll be interesting when we do the Iron Lady because, you know, if you look at like what should have given her her third Oscar, should it have been the Iron Lady or should it have been Julia and Julia? I think is a legitimate question. Well, I almost feel, you know, the Oscars does that thing where, you know, they kind of go with the trend or what's popular or, or and then somebody who they feel should have gotten it, who didn't get it that year, they make up for it the year after. Right. So, you know, Russell Crowe. What did he win for? Gladiator. He won for Gladiator. Yeah. But the year before, he had lost out for, was it um, uh, The Insider? I think it was The Insider. It was either that or L.A. Confidential, but I don't think he was nominated for L.A. Confidential. I think it might have been... I think it was The Insider. Which was a great movie, by the way. The Insider, for anybody who hasn't seen it, is amazing. Yeah. Oh, it's phenomenal. And then, you know, Renee Zellweger, she didn't get it for Chicago. Uh, Yeah, so then for Cold Mountain. Mountain, Which might be one of the... Oh, yeah, don't even get me started on Cold Mountain. Woo! <laughs> How that one made it to the Oscars, I do not know. Well, there's always... Uh, yeah, so they do that a lot. Yeah, there's always some surprises. There's always, like, one or two people that you look at, and it's like, well, wait a sec. And actually, like I just said, I'm looking, and, and Helen Mirren was nominated for Last Station, but so was Christopher Plummer for uh, supporting actor for that movie. So I guess the Oscars liked that movie more than... <laughs> I guess I didn't dislike yeah. that movie, but that seems like kind of a surprise to me. But um, I, don't know. I don't think I've seen it. It's just such a great performance by Meryl Streep. It's it's just such a great performance. It's it's not the greatest movie she's ever been a part of. And I think um, one of the things that you were saying is something that is a very, very popular opinion, which is that a lot of people love the Meryl Streep side of the story and really strongly dislike the Amy Adams side of the story. And I don't think it is necessarily just about Amy Adams and like her performance or anything. I think it's, um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? On why that is? I get the feeling watching it that, Amy Adams wasn't entirely comfortable with it or okay. was stressed or something because there's something very contained. And that may have been in the direction that they wanted to have, you know, somebody the polar opposite of the larger than life Julia Child. Right. Who connects with, with Julia, you know, through her cookbook and, and you know, finds some joy in life. And, I, you know, I you know who am I to judge anybody's, you know, choices or performances, but I... Yeah, it just felt so contained to the point where it made me uncomfortable. Interesting. Like, it wasn't that I was bored, it's that I feel uncomfortable. For instance, yeah, there's a scene where she's in her kitchen talking to herself as she makes a recipe. And I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been in my kitchen talking to my cookbook. And when you're alone, you're almost cartoonish. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You're not. You're not keeping a lid on it. You're not contained. Like you're a total loony bin because you're talking to your cookbook by yourself. Sure. And I almost felt like she wasn't willing to go there. It didn't necessarily. It wasn't. It didn't necessarily need to be big. I just felt like she couldn't relax. And maybe that's a character thing. I couldn't. I couldn't get on board with it. Interesting. It could have also been the wig. (laughs) The wig is pretty bad. And not her fault. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not her fault. I, I don't know. I have a, I guess it's kind of similar to what you were saying. My, my thought on this is that it is 
I bet it on paper seemed like it would be a good thing to have the contrast of these two characters because Julia Child is so like, you know, kind of bubbly. And for the most part, there are a couple moments of levity, you know, mostly involving like her inability to have a child, you know, where she, where there's some like serious moments with Julia Child. But overall, it's it's just such a, again joyful. I don't want, I don't mean to keep using the same word over and over, but it's a joyful performance. It's it's very bubbly and it it's is. very you know loving. And Amy Adams is playing that character who's just like dissatisfied with everything and like trying to find her place in the world. And like I think we can all relate to that, but at the same time, that's not the most enjoyable and like fun thing to watch because it's like it's watching somebody fail ten times before they like figure it out and and make it work. Does that make sense? Right, and how, yeah, and how do you do that without sounding like you're whining? Right, that's um, that's exactly it. it. It's just, yeah, it's it's a big challenge. Yeah, so it was just kind of I to me it was that. Although I I do have to say, um, this is probably going to be a controversial <laughs> opinion because I, I think what we've been talking about this whole time is is really how most people feel about this movie is that you know it's just it would be so much better if Julie wasn't in it. In fact, I think somebody like mm-hmm. I feel like somebody cut the movie. Didn't somebody put it up on YouTube with just the Meryl Streep side, just the Julia Child? And I they, think like, they did. Now they were, that you mentioned that. I remember that being a story somewhere, or like that's the cut that should have happened, or whatever. Um, so my controversy is that I actually related to to Julie's story in this. I mean, it's not dissimilar to what you and I are doing right now. You know, like we're going through somebody else's body of work and like not necessarily hoping that they'll notice us, but hoping that people will notice us and, and look at it and go, yeah. you know, there's something interesting about what they're doing. It's exactly the same thing. I feel like it's a kinship to what I do with the YouTube thing too, with the song a day project, you know, I can totally relate <laughs> to what she's doing. Do you know how excited, do you know how excited I would be if a reporter called us and was like, so Meryl Streep has something to say about your podcast. <laughs> She's actually quite a pill about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that's. I, I hope we never get that call. But um, yeah, no, I hope, I hope not either. <laughs> that that is a side to the story too. That is um, kind of a surprise. It's uh, you know I think that is based on real life. So that is very interesting to me. That Julia Child really disliked this whole thing that Julie was doing. I, I don't know. What do you have any thoughts on that? That just struck me as really surprising. My guess is, is that she didn't understand what she was doing. You know that somebody stuck a mic in her face and said, "What do you think about this?" Sure. You know she was so. If I mean, the fire saying she was so old at the time. That and that, that's my guess. Yeah. Is that it was just a lack of understanding of what she was doing. Yeah. And also, you know, you get you get older and you get set in your ways and, you know, it happens. Yeah. I don't know. Even that moment where, you know, it's... Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is spoiler. If you if you haven't seen this movie and don't want a minor spoiler, it's not a, it's not a big spoiler at all, but just skip like two or three minutes ahead from here. But the, uh, the scene at the end... You know, when when Julie takes the picture, you know, she goes to that museum that has all of Julia Child's things and she stands underneath the portrait of Julia Child and then gives her the butter. Like, again, talking about things that could have been cliche, like I totally that that got me like it really like I thought that was such a cool moment. And again, in the hands of lesser actors, I think that moment doesn't work and becomes laughable. But um, yeah. 
I think it was I think it was a great moment in this movie. I really do. Yeah, I agree. I agree. The, the movie really does have some wonderfully inspired moments, and the cast is wonderful. I do the um, do have to give a shout out to the men in the film: Stanley Tucci, Chris Messina, fantastic. Stanley Tucci in particular. Yeah. It's, seriously, his chemistry with Meryl Streep is unmatched, and they are so charming together. Yeah, they really oh, it's are just good. So sweet. It's so tender. Killed me. Yeah, you can tell there's a lot of genuine affection there. Um, yeah. Interestingly, I think I knew this at the time, but I had since forgotten it. Uh, Stanley Tucci was not nominated for this movie, but he was nominated that year for supporting actor for The Lovely Bones. So he was, you know. Oh. Yeah. Which, it's been a while, but wasn't he the bad guy in The Lovely Bones? Yeah. So. And I have not seen it, but I do believe that he played that he played the bad guy. Yeah, it's like a creepy... Yeah, I don't remember it very well either, but like the creepy something. I don't know. Um, yeah, I this I was really surprised by how great um, this was. And there is some hope to it too, because you know, like this is somebody who started from like nothing. You know, her, her only blog reader was her mom for a while, and then just it happened to catch fire. And I think that, I mean, obviously this is based on not one true story, but two true stories. But that happened for this person, for Julie. And, uh, you know, her life is never been the same since. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of amazing that that can happen to somebody. It's, it's a good reminder to like, not, if you have something that you want to try, try, like, you know, don't, you never know, like some, somebody might notice it and somebody else, you might inspire somebody else. And I don't know. There's something really great about that. I think. Yeah. Anything done from with passion and love, you know, it can't go wrong for you. Yeah. Um, one of the most remarkable things to me about this movie is, you know, I mean, I think it's probably talked about all the time with this movie, but how tall they made Meryl Streep seem. It really is. I know. It's like magic. <laughs> it's astounding. It is magic. And, and um, uh, Jane Lynch is her sister. Yeah. Oh my God, they're hooked together. Yeah. So funny. Yeah. They they employed quite a quite a number of tricks to to make that all happen. They like lowered a lot of like countertops and I think chairs and things to kind of give the perspective of being taller than than it was and Oh yeah. She wore high heels and they used like forced perspective um camera lenses. You know, they they obviously did it the right way because it looks legitimate. It doesn't look staged or fake at all to me. Susan, the art of filmmaking totally astounds me. It's amazing that people can do that and even have the concept in the first place. Right. If I were directing a film or like in charge of the art department, which I'm not for a reason, um, and somebody said, hey, we need to make this person look taller, I'd scratch my head and be like, well, I don't know how to do that. (laughs) How do you make somebody taller? Yeah. (laughs) Right. I mean, the creativity and the skill of people behind the camera is really phenomenal. And really, that film is beautiful. Yeah. Especially the Julia Child portion. I mean, it's just, I can't eat the whole thing. And our Amazon films usually are, but I feel like this one in particular is beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is Meryl's third collaboration with Nora Ephron. Uh, Nora Ephron was the writer of Silkwood, uh, which is one of the ones that I'm most anxious for us to get to, as well as Heart. Well, me too. Yeah, as well as Heartburn. So this is the third time, and this, of course, she directed as well. Um, 
So yeah, they had they had worked together a few times. The the late great Nora Ephron, who really truly you know like she's another one who, for the most part, doesn't have you know black holes in her resume. You know, with no. with a few exceptions, she did a movie called Lucky Numbers with John Travolta and Lisa Kudrow. Um, that's not particularly oh, well yeah. loved, and a movie in the film version of Bewitched with Nicole Kidman and um, Will Ferrell. Neither of those is particularly well liked, but everything else is just kind of classic at this yeah, point. Yeah, I think she 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 had a hard time with the critics. Um, yeah. I think um, with some of her lighter fare. Yeah, um, which I I think was undeserving in some instances. I do too. Yeah, she wasn't. It, it's the same thing where it wasn't being taken as seriously because a lot of times it was women's stories. You know what I mean? Like that was what she was interested yeah. in was telling women's stories. And um, well, I hate this idea that there's no depth or skill in in comedy and bringing people joy. Right. Uh, that, I mean, it just kind of blows my mind. I mean, every once in a while, the Academy will, will toss out a nomination for a comedy. But, uh, you know, it's so it's so difficult to get the timing right. And to, it really is a hard... I mean, comedy is so difficult. Yeah. And it doesn't get it to do this idea that it's got to be serious to be art. It's just nonsense. Right. Yep. No, I'm totally with you. It's um, it's a debate that that goes back for for actors. I mean, yeah, there are, there yeah. are some of our most amazing, uh, you know, film actresses and actors, and for that matter, theatrical actors. Although I feel like when it comes to awards, I feel like the Tonys are better than that. Actually, that's why that's one of the reasons too that I actually I don't know. I've always been. I'm not even really that huge a, an award show person at this point. But like to me, I think the mm-hmm. most the most fun one is the Golden Globes. Um, and oh, it is because everybody's drinking. Well, that too, but also they have the different categories. <laughs> they have the drama category, and they have the comedy yeah, or musical, true. and it's that broader. Yeah, it is broader, and you get to see. You get to see. Speaking of, actually, so Meryl was nominated for an Oscar for this, which she lost to Sandra Bullock, but she did win the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Motion Picture Comedy or Musical. Um, for this movie and the movie itself was nominated for best motion picture comedy or musical and she she was nominated in you know uh one a few other things as well she was nominated for a variety of things but you know she she did win the golden globe for for best actress in a comedy for this so it's that idea too of you know uh i don't know the golden globes are just better about including all kinds of all kinds of movies and every year there's yeah. there's stuff like get out you know which is kind of where do you put a movie like Get Out? And they went in the comedy category, which is somewhat controversial. Yeah, this year, that was a you mistake. Know? Bothers me. Yeah. Um, do you have favorite uh, scenes from this movie? Basically, every time she talks about food, my gosh, she's hilarious. Yeah. What are your. Um, so, as of right now, no, I don't have a favorite scene because I can't remember them well enough. Um, basically, any interaction she has with Stanley Tucci brings me so much joy. I'm like automatically in a good mood. Yeah, I have two. I think um, one of I think the scene in which um, she gets the letter from her sister after her sister gets married and she's you know she finds oh, out that she's, she's pregnant. pregnant. That oh, scene is so, so amazing because she you know it's that she's so devastated but at the same time what she's saying is I'm so happy for her like it's just such a 
tender. There are layers in that moment. There are layers in that scene that are just to play happy and devastated at the same time is just a really tricky thing to do. And she just does it with so much grace and so much ability, you know, like it's just, it's amazing. Um, The other favorite scene is actually relatively early in the movie in, in Julia Child's side of the story where they're in a restaurant and Julia Child is talking about, you know, like basically trying to find her purpose. And it's, you know, it's Mm -hmm. that, it's that pretty famous scene where he says, you know, like, what do you like to do? And she says, I like to eat, you know? Um, (laughs) Yeah. But what I love about this scene is actually the way her eyes dart about the, the restaurant. I know that seems like kind of a strange thing, but her eyes dart around in this way that is almost like, you know, it's almost like she's she's trying to make sure nobody's overhearing her because she's telling something a little bit vulnerable about herself. And, uh, you know, there's, I don't know, there's, again, layers there, but she's looking around like, you know, you feel like she's probably thinking things and kind of coming to her own determination about every person that she sees. And she feels like she's an outlier and an outsider. And, yeah, I don't know. The way she plays that scene is pretty magic. I love the level of snarkness in there. Mm. She's... You know, she's sort. She's this kind, larger than life, welcoming woman. But I think I think it's prevalent in those cooking class scenes where she's taking the professional level course. Right. <laughs> She'll have these moments when she's rolling her eyes at the instructor, or you know, giving somebody the side eye. Right. And I just I identify with it so much. You, know, you have those moments where you just roll your eyes at the person who's talking to you. Yeah. And then, but it also incorporates what you're talking about where she feels like an outlier. Right. You know, that sort of frustration that she can't quite, she can't quite be, you know, one of the boys in the cooking class or can't quite fit in with the wives of, of, you know, other politicos. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's so brilliant. Yeah. Everybody go watch it right now. It's so good. Uh, this movie did very well. It had a budget of $40 million and made a gross worldwide of just shy of $130 million. So it made about $90 wow. million. Uh, not a bad not a bad payday. Not bad. Um, and it was a pretty big year for Meryl Streep because that summer she had been in It's Complicated, which was kind of a, not a surprise hit, I would say. It wasn't a surprise necessarily that a movie with Meryl Streep, Steve Martin, and Alec Baldwin would go over well. But it's the same year? Yeah. It, it's Complicated was a like big summer hit. That was like right in the the Meryl Renaissance of like she was opening a movie like every August is counter programming to these like yeah. summer blockbusters and like you know, they were all hits year after year. Um so that was, you know, uh the summer. And then actually you know what? This one it says came out August seventh too. I thought this was a more of a Christmas time movie, but maybe maybe I've got these backwards. Maybe it's complicated came out around Christmas. Yep, I, I got them backwards. Julie and Julia okay. Julia and Julia was the summer hit, kind of the surprise hit, and It's Complicated came out on Christmas that same year. And in fact, I remember a few a few pieces, because, you know, there was the whole, like, well, obviously Meryl's getting nominated this year. Um, I don't want to say it was a weak year for performances, but I think there was, you know, I think relatively, um, compared to some other years, there wasn't as strong, maybe, um, a class that year, I think really in all the categories, I think it was kind of a weaker year in, in terms of the movies that came out that year. So I think it was, 
a pretty for sure thing that Meryl would be nominated. But I know there were, I know I read at least a piece back then that said that she should have been nominated for It's Complicated over and Julie, over Julia and Julia, which I disagree with. But um, that movie was pretty well loved yeah. too. Yeah, I disagree as well. So, well, where does this movie officially rank? We have two lists at this point, each of us. Do you want to maybe run through both of your lists if you have them in front of you? Because we've been waiting to hear. Yes, because I've been putting it off for so long. Guys, I finally got it together. Okay, so performance, performance-wise, my lists are substantially different from one another, by the way. Okay. Because my favorite performances are not always in the best movie. So, uh, Julie and Julia is taking number one for me. Devil Wears Prada, it got bumped out of number one, so it's still at number two because she's phenomenal on it. Postcards from the Edge, uh, Adaptation, Out of Africa, Kramer versus Kramer, The Hours, Florence Foster Jenkins, Heartburn, Deer Hunter, She Devil, House of the Spirits, Before and After, Still of the Night, and Homefront. Okay. That's a good list. I'm trying to write them down yeah. as we as we do this here. I'm going to put both of them in our show notes list. What about your uh, oh. your movies list? Um, this may shift around. It's it's already shifted from what I first listed. So when we first did the rankings, I was sort of doing a meld of of both. And since we put right. out the list, right? Here's what I'm feeling today, and it may change tomorrow. The hours, postcards from the edge. Kramer versus Kramer, Adaptation, Florence Foster Jenkins, Out of Africa, Deer Hunter, Devil Wears Prada, Julie and Julia, and then House of the Spirits, Heartburn, She Devil, Still of the Night, Before and After and Homeson. I mean, those um, those ones at the bottom kind of, they kind of stay there. Sure. Sure. Yeah, you don't see those making their way up. Well, I have some uh, interesting. Uh, there are a couple things that I find kind of interesting about that. I I love that the hours is your number one because I I feel like I know when we started I don't feel like that was on your list. I might be wrong about it. That. Absolutely was not. Yeah. No, you are not wrong. It was not on my list. I had seen it in the theaters, and I I just don't think I was in a place in life where I could process it as anything but a movie and walk away from it, not really remembering much about it at all. Yeah. And when we rewatched it for this, I was just, oh, so, so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And so, yeah. I'm also... I've chewed on that one for a while, and I confidently put it at number one well, in terms good. of my good favorite for you. overall. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, Actually, I, I think our one and two are just flipped in terms... Well, I'll, I'll do mine in a sec. But the other one that I think is kind of interesting for you in terms of the movie is you have Florence Foster Jenkins pretty high. You have it above Out of Africa, I which... I took as one of the ones that like had a lot of significance to you out of Africa. Yes, and it's probably it's probably. I mean, I think we're probably safe to say that out of Africa is not as solid or iconic of a film as say Deer Hunter, right. but it's ranked higher just because my nostalgia cannot let it go. Sure, so. I think that's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm putting these. Pretty high too. I'm I'm putting Julie and Julia at number two on my performances list. I have it right behind Postcards from the Edge. Postcards from the Edge is still okay. my number one performance, which I don't know. I feel like that might be controversial if it's still there at the end. It won't be there at the end because I'm sure Sophie's Choice and probably Silkwood will will knock it down a few. But um, 
It's just, anyway, Julie and Julia is coming in at number two right now. And I have it, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. I have it number seven on my list for movies. So in between Postcards from the Edge and Devil Wears Prada. I have it just above Devil Wears Prada. I think you have Devil Wears Prada one below. Oh, no, you have it right on above. On movies, are perform- uh, on movies you have it's it right number above. number two in performances. Yeah. So we're, we're just it's, uh, we're just flipped on those on two. Movies. Yeah. What's your number three on performances? Uh, so I have Postcards from the Edge, Julia and Julia, and then The Hours. I love her performance in The Hours. Okay. It's just so tender. And then Devil Wears Prada, which is a pretty iconic performance. So, yeah. yeah. Very. We're we're getting there. All right. Well, that was great. It was good to to chat about that one. I'm I'm really glad we talked about that one. I have to say, I have one last thought on this one, which is that. Yeah. Um, we did our last episode on the House of the Spirits, which we were talking about had kind of a surprising 6.9 out of 10 ranking on IMDb. And the more I look at that, the more I have questions about that because this movie... Wait, what's the ranking on IMDb? For House of the Spirits, the the, the ranking on IMDb is 6.9 out of 10. So almost a 7. Okay. For this movie, really? it's an That's even kind of 7. High. It's very high. That's that's what I'm saying, is this movie gets a seven. One point difference on IMDb between House of the Spirits and this. And in fact, if you look no. at some of her other movies, movies that are ranked lower than House of the Spirits include It's Complicated, which is 6.6, The Devil Wears Prada, which is 6.8, Iron Lady, which is 6.4, Hope Springs, which is 6.3, Mamma Mia, 6.1, Florence Foster Jenkins is the same as it at 6.9. I mean, do you do you see what I'm saying? Like, House of the, the Spirits seems yeah. like a really highly, strangely, highly rated movie at 7.0. It's got to be, it's got to be the heavy hitters on cast. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. I And I never use Rotten Tomatoes, but. Or maybe people are a sucker for an epic. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no. Um, the meta score for this one is 66, uh, which I, I, that one basically just takes the, um, you know, critic scores and kind of disregards the, you know, the, what do we call them? The average people, (laughs) what, what, uh, the rest of us, (laughs) it takes out our, yes, they don't care what we think. Uh, so the house of the spirits, the Metacritic for that one is, oh, I don't think it gives it. It doesn't give us. That must have been before they were doing that. So never mind. Yeah. So uh, the Metacritic is is a pretty good number. I th- I think that's pretty good, um, for that movie. But yeah, it is what it is. So well, <laughs> great. So let's see. Did we already talk about what we were gonna do? I forget if we did that. Did we do that early in the episode? What we were gonna do next? Yes, we did. Okay. We already talked about it. All right. So then we have our our remaining two segments here. Um, actually, we really only have one segment because I realized uh, after we had done the episode last week and then confirmed when I was editing it that we didn't choose a Six Degrees person this time. We just both forgot about it completely. So we did not do one. And we decided rather than just, you know, coming up with somebody right now and trying to figure it out on the spot that we just wait until next time. So, uh, Meryl, you came up with somebody. Yeah, on the fly, I, I suggested Ryan Gosling. I don't think that's a super tough one but you know this is one that hopefully people will play fun to do an easy one yeah i think yeah. That, i think that'll make it you know for people who aren't 
encyclopedias and weirdos about these things like my mind works that's all i really know about are things like this uh it gives it my whole life is a six degrees yeah so it's it's figuring out essentially uh you know Everybody can play this time, which is good. The uh, movies Meryl was almost in uh, is a movie. I'm curious if you've ever seen it. It's called Six Degrees of Separation. Have you ever seen that movie? Are you serious? Yeah, she was. <laughs> she was. Um, no. No. I've never seen it. She. It's. I don't know. It's. It's kind of an interesting thing. She was uh, at one point or another had expressed an interest. So says the internet in the role that Stacker Channing eventually played, um, mostly because she had worked with the director, who's a guy named Fred Chapisi. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not, but um, he had directed her twice before. He directed her in Plenty and A Cry in the Dark. And I guess she must have really liked working with him because she was interested in in doing this movie. Um, I could see it. It was like Will Smith's first big movie. Donald Sutherland was in it. Ian McKellen, Mary Beth Hart, Hurt, um, Bruce Davison. It, you know, it, it has a legitimate cast. In the cast. world, I can't even place it. Oh. Which is unusual for me. Oh, do you know? Well, and it, it's based on a play that's pretty well known, too. It's been done on, on Broadway a number of times. It's this New York, like, rich couple. So, like, the Donald Sutherland and Stocker Channing um, mm-hmm. characters. This this African-American kid, like, comes to their house in the middle of the night. So they're rich New York City art dealers, and they're called on one night by a young man who professes to be a friend of their kids from Harvard. They offer him a bed for the night. He enchants them with a home-cooked meal and magnificent conversation. The next morning, they learn that he is not all that he seems to be. Um, their investigations are intriguing and lead them to reevaluate their lives. I don't know. This movie is uh, said to be pretty good, I think. It's uh, another 6.9, according to IMDb. So I guess about as good as House of the Spirits. But... Um, <laughs> So I don't know, but it was—it's most known okay. for being. I think it was Will Smith's first movie role. I think it was his the first wow. movie he was ever in. I think he had. I think Fresh Prince. Oh no, this was even before Fresh Prince. Oh really? This was 1993. Well, Fresh maybe Prince, not after. Yeah, Fresh Prince started in 1990. So, yeah, oh, okay. this was this came out the same year as Made in America, which he had a small a smallish supporting role in. So I guess one of those was his first real role. He had done a couple, you know, he had done Fresh Prince. He had been on Blossom and, you know, did a couple other things. And then right Right. after that went on to Bad Boys and Independence Day and Men in Black. So became the Will Smith we all know. So. Yeah. So, all right. Well, that's good. I think we're, I think we're good to go. I do want to give, I do want to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners. Yeah. We seem to have, um, I don't know, hit our stride in the last couple episodes. And because of you, we have ended up on the TVN film iTunes charts for several episodes. And uh, we're so thankful. So please review and uh, rate us and subscribe and keep, keep listening. We are very, very appreciative. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, we appreciate everybody who's listening. 
So yeah, we're going to, we're going to keep pumping them out. As we talked about earlier in the episode, we're hoping to be really consistent coming up in, in at least January and February. Um, and we're looking yep. forward to the post and all the new stuff. It's going to be a good year. We're excited to have been through a whole year now with everybody. And we're looking forward to year two, season two. Can't yes. wait. Crazy. So uh, happy holidays to everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. That's all.